February seems to be a really big month for desktop environment news because KDE Plasma is almost upon us with the release next week. And in addition to that, GNOME has announced the beta release for GNOME 46. LXQt has dropped some big news that LXQt 2.0 is on its way, and there may be another distro already interested in System76's Cosmic Desktop and integrated it into their additions. We're also going to take a look at a few laptops coming on the market in, the, in a new segment that it's about Linux hardware news. I haven't really decided what to call it yet. We'll get to that later. Valve is releasing more of their software as open source, proving once again Valve is a great member of this community. Plus, we got some news from the movie animation studio DreamWorks and what they're doing with open source. All of this and so much more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux. Good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Collide. More on them later. Crossover is a product from Codeweavers that makes it easier to run Windows games and applications on Linux, Chrome OS, and Mac OS, and has just a, had a new release with the Crossover version 24. Crossover 24 is based on Wine 9.0, which has over 7,000 changes from the previous version of Wine, and also included in this release of Crossover 24, in addition to Wine uh, 9.0, also Wine Mono 8.1.0 is included, plus VKD3D 1.10 and Molten VK 1.2.5. CoWeaver's developers have worked on UI improvements in Crossover 24 as well, making it more user-friendly, and they've also added some really cool features like drag-and-drop drag executables onto the main window to run or install them inside of Crossover 24. And you can also do some cool stuff with portable apps or standalone executables because you can run them without installing them thanks to this newest edition of Crossover. A new Create Launcher dialog has been added to making launching your portable apps easier, and you can now change the directory where your bottles, these specific wine configs, are stored on your system. And there's also some new improvements for Office 365 within Crossover 24 and so much more. If you'd like to learn more about Crossover, you'll find links in the show notes. But also just for those who don't know, Crossover is made by Codeweavers, who in conjunction and partnership with Valve are the people who work on Proton. So it, maybe you might want to consider buying Crossover, even if you don't plan on using Crossover, because if you would like to support the efforts on Proton and Wine and all that sort of stuff, that's a good way to do it because... I mean, that's what I do anyway. Code Weavers is awesome, and Crossover is very nice. Uh, but also, I really love the fact of all the work on Proton. So if that's something you might want to do, you'll find links in the show notes. DreamWorks Animation is a fantastic studio. They made a lot of cool movies over the years, especially the franchise of the Kung Fu Panda and also, there's a new Kung Fu Panda coming out, for those who don't know, uh, Kung Fu Panda 4, which I am very excited. And yes, I'm an adult, but also it's a good movie. Okay, moving on. So they also do some cool stuff with their software because they have open-sourced their renderer, Moonray, and they have Open Moonray 1.5 in the news this week with a new version. So Open Moonray is a multi-award-winning, state-of-the-art production MCRT, which is Unbiased Path Tracing, uh, renderer, so it's used in DreamWorks animation feature films such as How to Train Your Dragon and so many more. Of course, this is something I want to talk about because of a couple reasons. One, DreamWorks is awesome, and they make really cool movies, and it's awesome 
that they are doing this sort of thing and open sourcing their software. All of that's true. But also, I got a chance to talk and sit down with Randy Packer and interview him for Destination Linux. And he is one of the leads uh, on the production side of doing the movies from DreamWorks. And it's just so, it was so awesome. Like, I had so many questions. It was a very fun interview. And if you haven't seen it, you should check out episode, I don't remember, but it'll be linked in the show notes of Destination Linux, where I interview Randy Packer from DreamWorks. I should have put that information in the show notes for myself to tell you here, but I forgot to look up what episode it was. It was 351? No, 350. No, 352. No, 353. Actually, I'm going to look it up right now. I should just do that. (laughs) DestinationLinux.net. What episode was that interview? 352. I was wrong on every one. (laughs) Okay. So it was 352. That's the answer. (laughs) Now, let's talk about Open Moonray 1.5. The new version includes new features and improvements like NVIDIA Optics 7.6 support, Intel Embry 4.2 ray tracing kernels, support for VFX Reference Platform 2023, some bug fixes, and also some additional renderer features, which is all fantastic. The new version also introduces a new adaptive light sampling scheme, its automatic CPU affinity control, and various other improvements. So, OpenMemory 1.5 is very cool, and it supports newer distributions and compilers like Python and stuff like that, making it compatible with the latest system. So, if you have a very old thing, you probably wouldn't want to use this. Also, it's not necessarily just for doing movies. It can be used for a lot of stuff, um, but it's also really cool that they open sourced it. And if you want to make your own movies, this would be a good way to do that. <laughs> so, you can download OpenMemory 1.5 with the links in the show notes. And also check out the interview that we did on Destination Linux with Randy Packer from DreamWorks on episode 352. See how I remembered that one? That that number from the 30 seconds ago? (laughs) I'm so good at this. We have a lot of Linux hardware news to talk about this week. I'm not going to go into the depths of the details for the specs of each device because we don't really have time for that. But if you have any interest in checking these out, you, of course, will find links in the show notes to learn more about all of these products. So System76 announced a refresh for their line of laptops as part of their Ambition Unfolds campaign. The refresh includes newer 14th gen Intel CPUs, both Bonobo WS and Serval WS, or I assume that means workstation. These models have already been refreshed with the Adder WS and the Oryx Pro to follow very soon. Now, the Adder WS and the Oryx Pro models will feature a 14th gen update and an upgrade to an HX class CPU, which is 24 cores versus 14 cores. The Bonobo WS models now have options for either 2K or 4K 17 inch displays, which is awesome. And also, the several, the Serval, Serval WS models now have a new 17 inch 2K display option. And we have a few release dates, but not really because the, the Bonobo S, WS and the Serval are already available. And then the Adder WS is March 5th. And then the Oryx Pro is coming soon at some point. <laughs> Next, let's talk about Juno Computers because Juno Computers announced the fifth generation of the Saturn lineup of Linux-powered laptops. Now, the pre- it comes pre-installed with Ubuntu Linux 
and it's powered by this 13th gen Intel Core i7 i or 13620H processor rolls right off the tongue. And has a starting price of 1399 USD for base configuration with NVIDIA GeForce RTX 450, 16 gigs of RAM, 512 gigs of storage. Next up is the KDE Slimbook. Now, this is a very interesting thing. We'll get to the, the part where I think is interesting the most in a second, but this is a partnership between the KDE Project and the Slimbook company. They're announcing the KDE Slimbook 5 or V. Now, they've done it before, right? But this is going to be the first laptop that comes pre-installed with KDE Plasma 6 desktop environment. Very interesting thing to do, especially how they're doing it. This is a laptop to be powered by an AMD 7840HS processor. It will come with the KDE Neon rolling release distribution featuring KDE Plasma 6 on Wayland. That's the part that's interesting to me because KDE Neon is being uh, in the notes is talking about it being a dis distribution. But in the frequently asked questions of KDE Neon, they say they're not a distro. They even say that they only care about the KDE stack when we're talking about KDE Neon. So it's an interesting choice because I don't like recommending KDE Neon to people who are not developers, who are not testers, and just want an average day-to-day -day usage distribution because KDE Neon doesn't really want to be that. Now, they do have a user edition, which is super confusing because why have a user edition and also say it's not a distro? It is kind of confusing. So they need to make up their mind on that. Either be a distro or don't have a user edition. One of the, whatever. That's up to them for a later date. That's a, that's a topic for another day, I suppose. But this is kind of interesting because Neon as a pre-installed distro. Okay, we'll see where, where that goes. Very interesting, and I wish them the best because I like KDE Plasma, and I am a big fan of the desktop environment of Plasma, so uh, wish them the best. And the KDE Slimbook 5 will be available, or V, I'm not sure what they're trying to go with that, for pre-order on the Slimbook's online store for a launch price of 9.99 euros, which uh, gives you a basic configuration of 16 gigs of RAM and 250 sto uh, SSD storage. The laptop is expected to arrive in stock in April 2024. And now speaking of Slimbook, let's move on to another set of uh, items because Manjaro is now partnering with Slimbook and the Orange Pie company to develop new hardware. There's a new gaming handheld device being created with alongside collaboration with Orange Pie and this is going to be using the Manjaro operating system. We talked about this on the Destination Linux episode that is coming out very soon. So is it already out? I mean, sometimes I just, sometimes I do so much. I'm looking at destinationlinux.net again. Sometimes I do so much work on a show and a podcast and I cover so much data that I don't, yes, it's already out. Okay, so <laughs> episode, episode 359, which is already out, we covered the Manjaro uh, Orange Pie handheld. So you can check that out for more details about that if you'd like. And also, Manjaro is teaming up with Slimbook to release a new gaming laptop, which is being the uh, Manjaro Slimbook. And the Manjaro Slimbook's price starts at 
13.99 euros and of course you get a manjaro based operating system for the slim book and if you want to get more information on any of these items then be sure to check the links in the show notes let's talk about endpoint security when you go through the airport, for example, there's a security line to check your ID and then another line to scan your bags. And the same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. And these days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of that equation where they check the user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all in some cases. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has a firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop could belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide solves this problem, this device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on your devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD or bring-your-own-device phone and laptop in your company. So visit thisweekinlinux.com slash collide to watch a demo and see how it works. That's thisweekinlinux.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. Steam Audio is a full-featured audio solution for game developers. And now it's been open-sourced by Valve, another reason why they're awesome. Now, Valve's move aims to provide developers with more control, leading to better user experience, and developers can use, modify, or redistribute Steam Audio under the Apache License 2.0. Now, Valve hopes for valuable contributions back from the wider community of developers for using Steam Audio, and that's why they're open sourcing it. And open sourcing Steam Audio removes roadblocks for developers to adapt it to their needs. And now, Steam Audio is not just for Linux, it also works on macOS, Linux, Android, Windows, and it has integration with Unity. Unreal Engine 4, CAPI, and FMOD Studio. This is really cool news from Valve. Uh, every time they open source something, it's always a really good benefit to the gaming community or the Linux community or both. And in this case, it's probably both. If you'd like to learn more about this news, links in the show notes. The GNOME project has released the beta version of GNOME 46 desktop environment. Now, this is not a final release, it's a beta release, so keep that in mind. It is for testing and that stuff, but there are people who will want to just play with it anyway, and I'm letting you know if you're one of those people. Now, the final release is scheduled for March 20th of this year, so it's not basically a week, a month away, not a week away, it's a month. That's how time works, Michael. Now, there's new features and improvements for core components and apps. The GNOME shell and Mutter has seen many, many improvements. There's also a dedicated global search mode for Nautilus's fi the file manager. And there's also been some a GTK4 porting for GNOME tweaks, which is nice to see. Uh, modernized properties dialog for the GNOME Bluetooth settings. They've improved the default background system with less lens distortion. Also improvements to GNOME Control Center, which is the settings tool. Uh, they've also done a lot of improvements for Wacom page stuff like uh, this is for Wacom tablets and stylus and stuff like that, or Wacom. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to say that anyway, but they've also done a many bug fixes and so much more. We're not going to be able to go into a lot more detail because it's a beta and I just want to let you know about it. But rest assured, when it comes out, we're going to go into a lot of detail. <laughs> so 
Be sure to subscribe to This Week in Linux if you would like to get that information and check out that episode when it drops. And of course, for those who are curious about what's happening, the next episode of KD is going to have KD Plasma 6 in it, so subscribe now to get that. So, yeah. As for GNOME 46 Beta, links in the show notes. System76 Rust-based Cosmic Desktop is being developed for the Pop! OS Linux distribution by System76. They make both Cosmic and Pop! OS. Now, the Cosmic Desktop usage is not actually limited to Pop! OS. Any distribution could, if they chose to, integrate it into their system. They could do it as their default DE or just make another addition that is related to Cosmic. And it seems that there is a distribution already somewhat interested in doing that, and that is, of course, Fedora. Fedora Linux is looking at evaluating a special interest group, or SIG, for the Cosmic desktop environment being integrated into the Fedora Linux family, which is very interesting. Now, this is an independent contributor, Ryan Brew, seeking feedback and interest for a Fedora SIG. So if you would like to suggest that you, you, know, you might want it, then you could probably join it and give your, your input. However, I'm not sure how much this is related to finding more developers to work on it or exactly what kind of feedback they're looking for. But as personally for me, I would be very, very happy to see a Fedora distribution that is powered by Cosmic, whether it's Atomic or not. In fact, uh, both of those, that'd be awesome because Atomic would be cool. Also, not Atomic would be cool just to have Cosmic there. So let's, let, you know, maybe do both. I don't know. So this would be really interesting because it also means they'd have to package Cosmic for the RPM uh, system as well as many other things and also like pr probably doing some kind of contribution upstream to Cosmic with the packaging and all that sort of stuff. So I think this would be beneficial, not just for Fedora, because it'd be really cool to have a Cosmic version of Fedora, but I also think it'd be good for Cosmic because Fedora is typically very innovative and they try new things and they help, they're very much into helping upstream to a massive degree. And that's why a lot of people think of like, why is Fedora not customizing more? It's because they like to do everything they can upstream. And this would be a huge benefit to the System76 team and Cosmic if they were to do that. So I think System76 should actually contact Fedora and help them make this branch and this integration because it would benefit both of them very, very much. That's just my opinion. If you would like to learn more, links in the show notes. I don't know if you've noticed this, but this episode of This Week in Linux has some interesting topics but also interesting way I'm delivering the topics. And you might be wondering, why is that, Michael? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, things are just going off the rails, and I'm just run, rolling with it. I'm just letting it happen. So I guess we need a miracle to get this train back on the tracks. Speaking of miracles, let's talk about Miracle-WM, which is a new tiling window manager for fans of tiling who also want to have it based on Wayland. So if you like i3 or Sway or Hyperland, this is something you might be interested in. It was created by canonical engineer Matthew Kosarek. Kosarek? I have no idea. Sorry if I said it wrong. It's based on Mir, which is where the miracle comes in. It's a Wayland compositor that was originally intended to replace X as the, the default display server in Ubuntu desktop a while ago. So for those who are not familiar, Ubuntu started making Mir as a competitor 
to Wayland. It wasn't originally a compositor. It was then converted into a compositor when they decided to not um, compete with Wayland, but to actually integrate Wayland. So that's why there was like, there's some confusion about when you search what is mirror, you'll find some mixed messages. It is, was, was a competitive display server. Now it is a Wayland compositor. So there you go. After the controversy and changes of Canonical's plans with Mir, they focused into doing a compositor, which benefited a lot in the, in the ways of like the IoT customers and that sort of stuff. So it's got a lot of maturity to it now, and it, it works very well. And I'm surprised that a lot of min window managers and desktop environments are not integrating it. Now, some I can get why, because they're making their own, but there's many desktop environments that would make sense for them to implement Mir in the core base to have Wayland support without having to build it themselves because it's, it's a pretty difficult thing to do uh, because unfortunately Wayland does not have its own default compositor that you can use. You have to make your own for your desktop environment, which is a bummer, but it is what it is. Now it does technically have Weston, but that's a reference compositor that quote unquote, for those who are listening to the audio only, I did air quotes because reference compositor just means it's not really intended to be used. It's just like compare this to make your own kind of thing. Back to the subject at hand, Miracle-WM makes use of Mirror's tech to provide a Wayland-based tiling window manager experience. And I also just realized the irony of me talking about going off the rails before and then literally doing it in this topic just then. This episode is uh, interesting. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments below about this whole episode. The goal of Miracle-WM is to provide a tiling window manager that fulfills all needs while enabling flashier graphics and smooth transitions. It currently supports common tiling window placement, resizing gaps, full screen windows, keyboard shortcuts, panels with exclusion zones, workspaces, multi-monitor setups, and more. So it does seem pretty robust, but it does require configuration through a config file, which is not that uncommon for a tiling window manager. So if you are, are custom to uh, tiling window managers, you're already going to be accustomed to how to do this. So you can set gap size, define the action key, specify startup apps, override default key bindings, and et cetera, through that configuration system. Now, more configura op configuration options and features are planned for the future, and it can be installed through a snap package, which is pretty interesting, or you can build it from source, or maybe some distributions will implement it into their uh, distro in some way. Maybe not make an addition like we talked about with the cosmic stuff, but maybe with an addition in relates to uh, packaging it so you could install it yourself. So that'd be interesting to see how that works too. So if you'd like to learn more about Miracle-WM, you'll find links in the show notes. But again, I just want to clear, I didn't specify it before. It's not yet stable. It's, it's not meant for daily usage, but it is very cool. And that's what I wanted to tell you about it in case you were the type of person who wanted to test it and report bugs and all that sort of stuff. So you can do all that now, or there's a planned stable release in July, 2024. So I will probably be waiting for that one. You can learn more with links in the show notes. GIMP 2.99.18 is the final development version before GIMP 3.0. This is big news because this means it's the last version before they actually ship the GIMP 3. Now, that's not necessarily accurate because if you count release candidates, then it's still going to be another release version, but it's not going to be a development version. 
because development version means that they're still working on adding features and stuff. And this, when a release candidate is made, is basically like we've finalized what's going to be in the next version. Here, test it, let us know. And then you make the changes if there's bugs found and that sort of stuff. So for those that don't own a release candidate, now you do. Now, this version includes new features and improvements, but it is unstable, like I mentioned, so it's not recommended for production use. But there are some really, really cool things in here, and especially some stuff that I've been asking for for a very long time, and I'm super excited about that. And some stuff that some people might be saying that has already been added, but it's more of like an initial effort to get it there. But still, very happy that this project is getting this kind of uh, improvement to the whole core system because this application is pretty important in terms of the open source aspects of the graphics industry or the image manipulation industry, which I have been a part of for over 20 years. So I kind of have some interest in this particular application. Now, the Space Invasion project aims to make GIMP more correct regarding colors by porting older internal color structures to Gaggle Color, which is very cool. By the way, I just jumped right into the highlights and features. So just as I said, this episode, roll with me. This will allow for color conversion only when needed and will enable color space information to be shown in various parts of the interface, which is very nice. They've also improved color algorithms, in, including acro, ac achromatic, achromatic, that's how you say it, pixels being special cased in the hue saturation tool and grayscale gradients being kept achromatic. Also, they have done something which is some I'm super excited about is initial support for non-destructive editing. This is fantastic because non-destructive editing is a must. It is a requirement to be a professional level tool in the image manipulation space. And for a very long time, GIMP did not have anything non-destructive. And they did sort of add some non-destructive elements uh, a couple years ago, but it was mostly like masking and that sort of stuff. So there was a lot of stuff missing. This one, this is a big deal. This is basically layer effects slash filters that can be applied on top of the layer without me messing with any of the pixels themselves of the image and also can be easily changed and removed at any time, which is the main reason why non-destructive is important. So I'm very, very happy about that. And I will be testing this. I mean, I, I don't ex expect it to replace my current workflow, but I'm very happy to see GIMP take such an, a step forward in the project. It has been working on this on this part for a while, but it, it's a very big deal to me because non-destructive editing is crucial. And this is the first step or the first big step to that. Also, their font handling improvements have uh, include no longer relying on font names being unique loading fonts using custom styles, and loading more types of fonts. They've also done some auto-expanding layers. Have been, these been added, in which it allows for the layer boundaries to automatically expand when painting past them, which is pretty cool. Also, new snapping options include snap to bounding boxes and snap to equidistance. I actually don't know what that means. There's so much stuff in image manipulation and graphic design that even if you had 20 years experience, you might not know some of this stuff. 
Themes have been improved with styles being defined to ensure a consistent experience and the interface being reorganized and simplified. This is very cool. They're also working on modifying and updating the UI of GIMP, but it's not going to be in this version uh, necessarily. There's going to be a few things that are going to be left on for uh, future releases like 3.1 or 3.2. I think they do the, the odd number thing. So 3.1 is probably a development thing. That's just... Not important, I guess, but moving on. Gaggle and Babel have been updated to assist with Color Space Invasion Project. The API is being reworked as a part of the GIMP 3 overhaul. And also there's been a lot of contributions made by 60 people to the latest 2.99.18 code base, which is very, very cool to see because for a long time, GIMP was a pretty small amount of people working on it. So it's really, really promising to see that much effort being put into it. So I'm looking forward to GIMP 3.0. It's expected to be sometime in May-ish. Not exactly sure. It might be later, but there is a conference that's happening in May that they want to have it ready for. So hopefully that's when it happens. And if you'd like to learn more about GIMP or check out the latest version, you'll find links in the show notes. The next major release of the LXQT or LXQT desktop environment, it's LXQT, but I just, for those who don't know what that means, LXQT, the letters, the version 2.0 is coming. And it's going to include a port to the latest Qt 6 framework, which is very nice. This port to Qt 6 will provide users with a more modern UI, UX, and performance boost compared to the current Qt 5 base releases, which is basically what Plasma 6 is coming with, is coming with Qt 6. So this is really good news. And also it's really cool that just came out of nowhere. All of a sudden they were like, hey, guess what? Dropping this news of 2.0 coming. Great. <laughs> so LXQt 2.0 will be completely dropping support for Qt 5. And most default apps and core components have already been ported to Qt 6, such as the session, notifications, power management, appearance tools, input, monitor, file associations, queue terminal, screen grab, and just so much more but they also have some stuff they still need to work on. So the rest of the components, such as the panel, desktop, PC, man, FM, Qt, file manager, LX image, Qt, image viewer, uh, the policy kit, Pavu control, global shortcuts, all of these things are expected to be ported to Qt 6 by April, which is really cool because that means that Qt, uh, LX Qt 2.0 is coming in April, or at least that's the plan. So there's not an exact date of when it's coming out, but they are expecting it to happen in April. So I'm very excited about that because that is not very far away. And also, LXQt 2.0 will include a new default application menu. And they're calling it the Fancy Menu, which will feature an all applications section, a favorite section, and an improved search function. Basically, they're modernizing the menu to something that resembles modern computing that every other DE has had for a long time. <laughs> well, unless you don't count GNOME because they don't really have a menu at all. So I guess that's not true. But most have had this for a while, but it is very, very nice to see this being added to LXQt because if they can have these modern features while also being still super, super lightweight, which is their entire goal in the first place, that's awesome to see. Also, LXQt 2.0 promises improved support for Wayland Display Protocol, 
with many apps and components already working well on Wayland, and LXQt devs plan to add missing pieces to improve LXQt's performance on Wayland, including the release of Layer Shell Qt 6.0 and Task Manager plugin for the panel. Also, LXQt will remain modular, like it always has been, to work with all the WL roots based Wayland compositors, with the devs currently focusing their work around LabWC, a Wayland window stacking compositor, which is basically inspired by OpenBox because OpenBox hasn't seen a release in a very long time and LXQt was based on OpenBox, which kind of locks it into X, so they have to pivot away from OpenBox. So, of course, they found one that was inspired by OpenBox, which works out pretty well, I'd say. Now, the final release, again, has not been setting a date yet, but hopefully it does happen sometime in April. I'm looking forward to it. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this fun and kind of wonky episode of This Week in Linux. Let me know what you think in the comments below about how this whole thing came together and what you think about this particular kind of episode. I'm very curious because I did not do it on purpose. I didn't start this way, but I just started rolling with it and it just kind of became this. <laughs> so let me know in the comments. Also, if you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode. May or may not be weird and wonky and fun, but we'll see. Let me know in the comments. But anyway, another episode of your source for Linux good news. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell. <laughs>